in our assembly to grab out that insert that you find in the bulletin. On one side, it's going to say MPG. That stands for Memorize, Pray, and Glorify. And as MPG talks about or references how far you can take a car down the road, our MPG is how far you can take the sermon through the week. And so there's some exercises, something for you to memorize. Uh, a prayer exercise for you is, is uh, also a way that you can glorify God. Some questions to reflect on, those kinds of things. And then on the flip side of that is the sermon outline for today, a place where you can take some notes, fill in some blanks, uh, some reference points, is that, uh, points that you can look at this next week. And we are going to continue our series that we're calling Big Deals. It's based on a book. It's about decision-making by Andy Stanley entitled Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. And that's we're calling this series Big Deals because that is exactly what a decision is, a big decision is. It's a big deal. And the bigger the decision, the bigger the deal. The bigger the deal, the bigger the decision. And there are three reasons why decision-making in our world today, and it's always been true, but we live in the world as it is today, and for our purposes, there are really three big reasons why we need to think about how we make decisions. The first one is this. Everybody has this in common. Everyone will be faced with big decisions, where you're going to go to school, who you're going to marry, who you're not going to marry, where you're going to go to work, where you're going to live. All of these things are big decisions that everyone is going to face, but then there's a second one. Decisions are a big deal because decisions are like steering wheels directing the course of your life. Decisions are like steering wheels directing the course of your life. In other words, you have decided your way to where you are today. You decide your way into the future. Your, your life follows the course of your decisions. And then again, a, a really important reason for us to think about decision-making, our personal decisions, our private decisions, always have public implications. Personal decisions have public implications. You are not the only person who is going to feel or sense or bear up the impact of your decisions, good or bad. There is, with every decision you make, there's the possibility of collateral blessing, and there is also the possibility of collateral damage. And that's why we need to think about decision-making. And at the heart of all good decisions, and this is going to be the theme statement of this series, at the heart of every good decision are good questions. Are good questions. Good decisions come from good questions. And what those questions do is it allows you to get the information, the angles, the, the wisdom that you need to make a good decision. And to make good decisions, you need to make two commitments. The first is you need to become a disciplined decision maker. This is one of the things that we looked at last week. And up here on the screen, this is what it means to be a disciplined, good decision maker. You're going to pause, you're going to question, and then you're going to respond. You're going to pause, and then you're going to answer the questions. You're going to ask the questions that we're going to be talking about in this series, and then you're going to respond. All humans have to learn how to hit that pause button. If you don't, and you just shoot from the hip, it's going to be no better than just a guess. 
One of the things I learned years and years ago from a fellow by the name of Stephen Covey, many of you know him from his leadership books, is that all of us, whenever there's a decision that we have to make, there's usually some kind of a stimulus that's come into our life that is asking for a decision to be made. And a lot of times we just react to it. We don't, we don't hit that pause button. We just react to it. And that's why we get into trouble a lot of the time. We don't think through. We don't ask the questions. And so what Covey would say is it is a sign of your maturity if you can expand the time between the stimulus that's begging for a decision and the actual time that it takes to make that decision. If you can expand that time, that is a sign of maturity. Now, that's not just Stephen Covey. I mean, that's a biblical principle. Going all the way back to the book of Proverbs, Solomon says in Proverbs 19, verse 2, enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes wakes. Say that with me. Haste makes mistakes. That's Solomon, Proverbs 19, verse 2. So the first thing you have to do is is become a disciplined decision maker. The second thing is to memorize five questions, which is what we're going to begin today. Last week was the introduction. Today will be the first question. And there are five that I'm going to ask you to consider when it comes to making a big decision. The first one is going to deal with honesty and integrity. The second one is going to deal with the story of your life and your legacy. The third is going to deal with your conscience. The fourth one is going to deal with wisdom and what is the wise thing to do. And then the fifth one is going to deal with love and relationships and what is the loving thing to do. Now, the first question I'm going to introduce and unpack today. And to do that, I want to give you not necessarily the most positive thing to know about human beings. And it's this truth. There's one truth that's really important for us to get our mind around, and it's up here on the screen. We are the mastermind behind every bad decision we've made. That's a fact. We are the mastermind behind every bad decision we've made. And this particular truth goes all the way back to the beginning of time, the beginning of creation, the beginning of the Bible. It goes back to the book of Genesis, the fourth chapter, when we have entered into a fallen world. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you have creation, everything is good. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, the eating of the forbidden fruit. Sin enters into the world along with death and a lot of other bad things, the thorns and the thistles. By the time you get to the fourth chapter, you have the the continuation, the trajectory of sin continuing. And one of the things that you begin to notice as you read Genesis chapter 4 is that the sin of Adam and Eve is a whole lot like pollution. It's like, it's like smog. It goes everywhere. It touches everything. And the sin of the third chapter of Adam and Eve eating that forbidden fruit passes to their two boys. Adam and Eve are now, by the time you get to the fourth chapter, they're a family. They're mom and pop of two boys, Cain and Abel. And the writer of Genesis tells us that this is what Cain does. He works the land. He's a farmer. He's an agrarian leader. He is, he is a farmer. He's a gardener. Abel, the younger brother, on the other hand, though, is working with animals. He's sort of a, a rancher. He's the keeper of flocks. And one day, they decide, the two boys, that they're going to take some of what they have produced in creation and offer it to God. Cain comes. He brings an offering of the fruit of the land. 
Abel comes and he brings of his flock, and we're told very specifically that it's the firstlings. And that's the key idea here. That's the key here. What Abel is bringing is the best. It's the firsts. Cain, on the other hand, it, it's just it's produce. Now again, this is not a difference between two sacrifices because both the animal and the grain sacrifices are regulated in Scripture in Exodus and Leviticus. They are said in such a way that the problem is not with the sacrifice but with the sacrificers. And what you're beginning to sense is that there is something not so great that's going on in Cain's heart. And so we read in chapter 4, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry. And his face was downcast. And it's here that you begin to see a bit of the heart, insight into the heart of God. God sees that Cain is at a fork in the road, and he steps in to personally help Cain with what's going on. And notice how God does this. What is behind every good decision? Good questions, right? Notice how God steps in to help Cain. He begins by asking questions. In fact, there are three of them, beginning in verse 6. He says, why are you angry? The second... Why is your face downcast? And then the third, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Think of just for a second the trajectory of these questions. Anger as a secondary emotion is a red flag. It's a signal that something is wrong, that something's not right, something's got to get fixed, something's got to get resolved. I'm, I'm hurt or I'm sick or I'm scared, or I'm frustrated, or something, you know, so I'm angry. And anger is a sign that there's something is wrong. I, there's a problem. What is it? The second, no, it's a face downcast, and, you know, the face, chin, in the chest, sort of points to the fact that Cain knows that Cain is probably the heart of the problem. And then the third, do you realize that a positive outcome, that a different outcome is possible if you decide wisely, if you decide well, if you make a good decision? So Cain is being confronted by God with questions that are designed by God for Cain to be able to dwell in, drill down into his heart and figure out why he's really angry and why he is really downcast and why things are not going the way that Cain would like for them to go. But then God adds this as a bit of a warning. He says, if you do not do what is right, if you don't make a good decision, if you don't think this through, Cain, you need to know that sin is crouching at your door, meaning his heart. It desires to have you but you must rule over it. In other words, Cain, there is the possibility to make a bad decision here. In your anger, in your downcastness, in your deciding possible 
futures and outcomes, there is the possibility for this to go wrong. Do you know that sin is crouching like a wild animal ready to pounce on you? Let's step out for just a second. Let's ask a question. What do all disciplined decision makers do? Say it with me. Pause, question, respond. What do all disciplined decision makers do? They hit the pause button, they question, and then they respond. Now this brings us to the second truth about us. We're the mastermind behind every bad decision we've ever made. Truth number two is this. We can't guard ourselves as long as we lie to ourselves. We cannot guard ourselves as long as we lie to ourselves about what's going on. Not just outside of us, but especially inside of us, which brings us to the first of the five questions. When you find yourself in front of a big decision, what you're going to do next, you have to ask the question, what, what's going on? Why, why do I want to do this? Am I being honest, brutally, rigorously honest with myself why do i want to do this really you know the funny thing is there's no indication in this text that there was any hitting of the pause button or asking any questions before the doing you can almost hear cain saying i don't need no stinking counseling I'm not the problem here. God is, is playing favorites. I'm not the reason going, you know, that I'm going through this and I'm feeling this way. It's not my fault. It's not my problem. And immediately after God's counsel and the questions that he poses to Cain in his heart, we read in verse 8, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. And he killed him. You know, what we begin to see here is kind of the nature of sin, right? I mean, it tells you a little bit about the nature of human beings and the nature of sin. We go from chapter 3 to the eating of a forbidden fruit that opens our eyes to murder. That's human beings. And it's a trajectory that all human beings sort of get on, even to the point that you find this prophet by the name of Jeremiah who time and time and time again is trying to tell the last kings of South Judah that there is a problem with the way that they're ruling, and if they're not careful, if they don't repent, if they don't change, if they don't make good decisions, the future of South Judah is going to end up in Babylonian captivity. And he says in Jeremiah chapter 17, Verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. And it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? I mean, haven't you ever made like a, a, a dumb purchase or found yourself in some kind of a relationship or some kind of a habit and you just go, what was I thinking? Or maybe I wasn't thinking, maybe I need to start thinking. 
I mean, think about those, those dumb purchases you make. I mean, you have an iPhone. I have an iPhone that does everything that I need it to do, but there's a new one that's coming out. The one that I have that does everything I need, it's paid for. I don't know anything on it. But that new one, you know how expensive they are, but I've just got to have it. I just have to have it. It's the same with all kinds of purchases. And later on we go, what in the world is I think? I can't afford that. Or what about doomed relationships? Girls. I, I know he has never held a job for more than a year, but he's a fun guy. Or dudes. I know she texts her old boyfriend, but I'm okay with that. Yeah, she's a little manipulative. Yeah, she's a little bit controlling, but she can change. Or what about destructive habits? I can handle it this time. Or this time it's going to be different. Or it's not my fault. Or it's not my fault. Where did Cain learn that? From his dad, who, when confronted by God about eating the forbidden fruit, said, hey, 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 it's the woman that you gave me. It's not my fault. You're the one that gave me the woman. I mean, we do this all the time. Dumb purchases, doom relationships, destructive habits. It leads to two questions. What in the world is wrong with us? What in the world is wrong with us and what can be done? Two things. You have got to fire the liar in you. The Apostle John at the end of his life in 1 John chapter 1 says, If we claim to be without sin, that is that we're perfect. That we never make mistakes. That there's nothing wrong with us. That we have nothing to be guilty of. That we never transgress any laws. We've lived a perfect life. A perfect life. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, which means that we've lied to us. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. <laughs> Friends, isn't it kind of amazing how easily we can talk ourselves into anything? You know who I'm a sucker for? Me. I can talk myself into anything. I want what I want. I like what I like. You're the same way. I can easily sell myself on anything. We all do it, and it's just a hop and a skip and a jump for our hearts to convince our heads that what is a want is really a need, and the heart tells the head, now get out there and find a reason to justify it. And because that's true, we have to be aware of this, not just aware, but beware of this little thing that we call confirmation bias. Confirmation bias, it's up here on the screen, the tendency to open ourselves up to what we want to hear and to disregard the rest. That is, we hear what we want to hear, and what we don't want to hear, we hit the, the, the eject button. In another book that had nothing to do with religion, but just about the way that human beings make decisions, Jonathan Haidt in The Righteous Mind writes that we tend to stockpile the evidence that supports our position, and we throw away, and we stockpile the arguments against the position we don't support, so everything is plus, 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 and what we don't do, you know, we disregard the evidence that opposes our position, that is, we're not honest 
in listening to what other people might say that's wrong about our position or what might support the other position. Which leads us to possibly a third truth about us. That we're the mastermind behind every bad decision. That we can't guard ourselves as long as we lie to ourselves. And number three, most of us want to be proven right more than we want to know what's true. And that's a fact. Most of us want to be proven right more than we want to know what's true. So we have to do a great job of firing the liar in us. And then number two, choose honesty even if it makes you feel badly about yourself. Choose honesty even if it makes you feel bad about yourself. Believe it or not, there are worse things in the world than feeling bad about yourself or looking bad. There are. A growing portfolio of bad decisions that have a lot of collateral damage. An endless cycle of the same old, same old bad decisions. If you are not honest about you, then how are you ever going to take responsibility for your decisions? And if you're not willing to take responsibility, what does that make you? Irresponsible. And friends, there is no way to live life in the kingdom of God. And that's why you ask the questions. You hit pause and you ask the questions and you answer honestly. Why do I really want this? Why am I really avoiding this? Or why do I keep procrastinating, really? Why am I going, really? Why did I say yes? Why did I say yes, really? Or why do I want to say no, really? Why am I driving this? Why am I buying this? Why did I move in? Really. Why did I move out? Really. Rigorous honesty, my friends, is the first rule of breaking out of serial bad decision making. Honesty. It's an integrity question. Going back to Cain, what if Cain had asked the question, am I being honest with myself? I mean, for crying out loud, it's God who's asking the questions. You know, you should never lie to God, you should never lie to your preacher, I'm just saying. But what if Cain had been honest about the questions that God had posed to him? I'm angry because my sacrifice wasn't heartfelt. It wasn't the firsts. And what I'm really angry is I'm really angry at myself because I know better. I know it's me. That's why my chin is in my chest and my face is downcast. I know it's me. I can't say that I'm without sin. And I can change. I can do better. I can decide differently. And I can choose a different outcome. I can choose a different future. 
But now there's a different story because Cain did not answer that. There's a different story that we tell, a legacy of Cain that we tell. Is it not? And when you think about it, friends, what, what is one of the real reasons that we, we choose not to be honest? It's because we're embarrassed. Uh, it's because we, we know intellectually we've done something wrong. I mean, at the base of it, at the core of it, is it not that we feel guilt? And we choose to avoid the honesty because at all costs we're going to avoid, we're going to avoid the guilt. I mean, life's too short. Who wants to live it in guilt, Right? And so we're not honest with ourselves. But what if disciples of Jesus begin to realize, which we already do, that we live, that we are, we don't live in guilt, we live in grace. Which means, as Tim read to us in the communion devotional, that you know, justice is getting what you deserve. We get that. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, but grace is getting what you don't deserve. We live in grace. We have been embraced by God's love. He becomes our Father. We become His children. We are forgiven. We are given His Spirit in order to change the way that we live. And we know that we have been saved by grace, not guilt. And so, if that's a reality in how we live on planet Earth today, should we not be the most honest people in the world? And because it's true that we live in grace, shouldn't we be the people most freed up to be honest about us personally? If salvation, if salvation is, is about being saved from that which is wrong with us, and it's by grace, and it's a grace that we continue in, isn't it a sign of a truer, more profound, and deeper understanding of what salvation is when we can be honest in our hearts? And answer the question, am I being honest with myself about this? I, I want to ask you another question, too. I mean, honestly, knowing how important grace is, why have you been putting off coming to Christ and finding your life enriched by that grace in such a way that it completely changes the trajectory of your life until the day that you see God face to face. We're going to have some shepherds down here at the front. And if the, the honest answer to that question is, I'm scared, or I don't think I need it, or whatever it may be, I mean, allow us to have the conversation with you about what it means to become a disciple of Jesus while the rest of us stand and praise God together.